0: Hello and welcome back to Control-Alt-Delete, this is episode number 25, I'm your host Emma Gannon, the author of the book Control-Alt-Delete, How I Grew Up Online, which is out now so really excited to announce today's guest it is laurie penny laurie penny if you don't already know and haven't already googled her and read all of her work is a journalist feminist and author of five books including unspeakable things which was out in 2014 with bloomsbury cyber sexism which was out in 2013 and meat market in 2011. she is a contributing editor at new statesman And she writes and speaks on social justice, pop culture, gender issues, and digital politics for The Guardian, The New York Times, Vice, Salon, The New Inquiry, and many, many more. She was also on the judging panel of this year's Bailey's Women's Prize for Fiction. I'm also really enjoying Laurie's work for Medium. If you look up Welcome to the Scream Room, um, it's a Medium thread all about um, politics in America at the moment. So um, I really recommend you check that out. So here's the interview, we talk about reading, about how writing is not actually as glamorous as we all think, and also um, what Laurie's definition of success is. I really enjoyed talking to her and I hope you really enjoy it too. Here it is. Oh, this is exciting. I'm here with Laurie Penny, which is awesome.
1: Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Well, I'm in my house. I'm like, so <laughs> I'm, I'm excited here, to be here. Like, <laughs> but it's, I'm excited that you are here.
0: Well, I'm really excited to, at any point, meet someone in real life who i followed on Twitter for so long. Thank you. And for it to be really nice. Um, so I've got loads of questions, but I thought I'd kick
1: off with, um, what is a normal day for you? Oh my goodness. Um, I mean, so you've come to my house. I live in this warehouse with a uh, bunch of nerds and queer people and i get up as early as possible and do work in the morning it's very boring really like people have this idea of writers lives is very very exciting there was a um there was a feature in I can't remember what magazine it was, I think it was Adult Magazine lately. I know the people at Adult Magazine, they're wonderful writers. But the feature was writers and their weekends and what they do and there were all these people writing in about, you know, the the things they get up to on the weekends and some of it was sexy and some of it was kind of all exciting. And I was like, I, I write on the weekends. <laughs> I'm like and I kinda and I'm pretty sure most of these people do as well. Like if yeah. you're a working writer like mainly I'm just sitting in front of my laptop, trying not to look at Facebook. Um, maybe I'll treat myself to a couple of episodes of my latest show. It's really dull. Do um, your weekends <laughs> mix in with your weekdays? Yeah, I mean, I'm Is freelance. That, so yeah. I've, been, I've been freelance now for um, six years, um, mm-hmm. coming up to seven. My last job I had to go into the office for was at the Morning Star the world's only English-language communist daily newspaper, right. um, still, I believe, and um, which was exciting. But I've been working from home for that whole time, so it's a lot about you know, learning how to discipline yourself. Um, but the good thing about this house, I live in a collective, is that there's always people around. I don't feel isolated, and there are often things going on. But sometimes people just invite a lot of people over, and it's nice to feel that even if I'm not having fun, other people are having fun around me (laughs) on my behalf. Yeah. like, oh, somebody's taking care of that. I can go back to the desk. Yes. Yeah.
0: No, that must be really nice because it can be. I think one thing I hear a lot about is, like, getting lonely when you're working on your own all the time and inside your own mind. It
1: can get incredibly lonely. And when I've been living in different kinds of situations, I often go and work in cafes, partly because it's not socially acceptable to have naps there, (laughs) but also because I like the feeling of other people being around and milling around. And um, I know some people need total isolation to write, but I don't, I, that's not what works for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to have background noise and a sense of life going on. I was going to some... ask you actually your,
0: I know it's such an annoying question, but mm-hmm. having some someone who has written four books
1: mm-hmm.
0: and you're not even 30 yet. I'm, I'm kind of <laughs> 30. But still, yeah. I mean, cause you, you'd written your first two before you were 25. Yes. it's insane it's amazing it's such a cool achievement oh thank you it's just I mean your Wikipedia page I was looking at last night not that I really needed to and kind of know what you do but it's really it's so impressive but you must have found maybe
1: a routine that works for you now yes well although one of the things that people don't sometimes realise is that I've been out of school longer than other people because I went to university earlier so I actually graduated I was 20 and so people I started first getting sort of well known on the media kind of literary scene at about 23 24 and people were like mm. who is this person who's walked out of university into this job and I was like no no, no I've been grafting really hard for at least three years of total anonymity and poverty and you know just doing random jobs here and there and working in a shop and Mm -hmm. it's not like I just walked into this so I did have that that time frame so some of it is just a time frame thing I was I was lucky I went to uni early I didn't take a gap year Um, but yeah I do I'm kind of an insane person about self-discipline and um, I'm always trying to find ways to trick my brain into doing work. Um, it's' uh, I'm, I'm, I'm actually writing an essay about this at the moment about my problem with life hacking in that I'm slightly over obsessed with it as in <laughs> you
0: you don't like life hacks Well I, I
1: mean, or you like to make your own I disapprove of them. <laughs> on a political level because they're an atomized way of dealing with the problems of late capitalism but I'm also totally obsessed. Like, you know different ways to make yourself more productive auto-tailorism different ways to just churn out words more quickly because you have to kind of exert a kind of workplace type discipline on yourself when you're freelance yeah and it's about learning how your brain works and learning how what things work for you and what things don't and you know on a on a basic level that's healthy and sensible but you can take it a little
0: bit Mm. i've just seen that there's this thing it's um just a keyboard with like a teeny little screen like a game boy Mm -hmm. and it's just
1: word oh and i mean isn't that just a phone
0: (laughs) it's it's kind of like an old school keyboard with like a teeny little screen and you just write so you just take it on the tube and write, so you yeah. can look a bit
1: crazy. See, I actually do a majority of my writing on my phone. Do you? Yeah, yeah. partly because I find it, it's less distracting. Yeah. I do it in notes, and um, you, know, you can send it to yourself. It's like writing in a notebook, but it, you can send it to yourself. You don't have yeah. to then type it up it. again. Yeah, I did almost all of unspeakable things on a phone. And oh. then compiled it later, which is one of the reasons it feels quite chatty. Sometimes it's like texts to myself yeah. on the bus. I'll just churn out 300 words. And if you're doing that a couple of times a day for a couple of months, eventually mm. you've got a book.
0: Yeah, I love that. I, I I sometimes do blog posts just waiting for the bus yeah. on my phone. Do you think people romanticise what you do in, in any sense? In, in that way of, what? you know, um, it's not like a candle and a desk and oh, hunched yeah. over and playing like jazz. <laughs> Like, you, I mean, yeah. just because a lot of people want to be writers and they look to
1: you. I, I'm so, like, the romanticization of writing is something that oh, it amuses me so much. Um, it's so, I'm kind of, I don't know if you've picked up on this, but I'm, I'm a lot more well known in Germany than I am here. Are you? Like, yeah, I didn't know I didn't It's know weird. Like, yeah, I'm super famous in Germany. I have no idea why. I'm kind of like the sort of semi Lena Dunham, Catelyn Warren of Germany. Oh, my God, that's but, amazing. Yeah, so I was on this... Um, I'm so... Yeah, yeah. it's very Random strange. and cool. And, and I've, yeah, I'm learning bits of German, but, you know, I'm not a German person. But for some reason... I mean, you do the work that's put in front of you to do. But anyway, I was on this German radio programme about a month ago. And they asked me... Um, you know, what is your, what inspires you to write? And, you know, they, they told a story about some uh, famous German writer with the name I didn't catch, who, you know, the legend has it that he always had to have a rotting apple in his desk because the smell of sweetness and decay was just so, you know, so powerfully evocative for him. And I was like, you know, you know what I find <laughs> really inspiring is a deadline. And, you know, yeah. you know there is nothing that gets the creative ju- juices flowing than knowing that if I don't hand in my column tomorrow, my boss will be cross. Yes. You know, it's it's such. a... I like to take it back to the practical <gasps> basics. You know, it is. You know, Shakespeare wrote for money. I don't always write for money. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I write for like joy or for contributing to things I think are important. But part of the reason I write for money is so I can do those other things. Yeah, I'm really actually maybe a bit too practical about it like it's I think it's about I, I prefer it to be about craft and discipline rather mm-hmm. than about you know a certain kind of romanticization of it as an art form but yeah sometimes I think maybe I don't I don't give that side enough credit yeah. it might be nice to you know occasionally maybe I should get a special writing jumper
0: or something, <laughs> something. Or something like that because would you would you say um that are you a perfectionist in any way Oh yes, yeah. Because I mean, no, um, like, obviously, you know, you, you It is a craft, and it is you take. You know, your pieces are so well done. There's oh, no you. way that you could just fling it out. Um, but how does that work with a book? Because it's, you could tweak it forever.
1: Yeah, books are much as as I'm sure you know. Now, books are the thing I find difficult about books, and I think coming out of learning to write on the internet is blog posts. You can you put them up fast, but you can go back to them, and there's dialogue. Whereas with books, like that's it. You get it out, and that's it. It's a, a very different type. time frame. <laughs> um, and um, you can't, like, incorporate some fact that somebody then tells you in the comments that you hadn't picked up on before and go, "Oh, I've just found ETA. There's no ETA for mm-hmm. books. There's maybe a second edition if you're lucky, but not really. Yeah. It's... Um, I've, so I find books incredibly hard to do. Also, because I've uh, got a really short attention span. Like, I'm, I have ADHD, so um, which I got diagnosed with reasonably recently, which right. makes uh, a lot of sense to the kind of various ways that I work. So I'm, I work best over short, focus periods. But a, it like like as being a sprinter, you mm-hmm. know, you can't a, a marathon is not like ten sprints put together it's a totally different discipline it's a different exercise that you're training your body to do and a book is the same so yeah i'm trying to again i'm in the middle of a couple of book projects at the moment one non-fiction one fiction and i'm trying to remember how i did the last one Mm. and i have no idea I i can't remember at all um scrivener helps do you use Scrivener? Uh,
0: no, but I've heard of it. Oh, and I, I feel like I need to check that out.
1: Um, I don't know, it's it is a wonderful it's the best thirty quid so I've ever app? spent. No, it's a it's a word processing programme. Right. Um, I'm not sponsored by them, <laughs> but I kind of feel like the difference it's made to my life I should kind of give them a plug because Ooh. it's basically it seems like a tool designed to help incredibly distractible people write novels. Right. And I do wow. I, yeah, I yeah. do. Incredi- I do almost everything in Scrivener now. I don't use mm-hmm. Word. Don't use um, Pages or whatever the awful Apple yeah version of that is. Um, it's yeah, it it it's really really useful and it means I can keep multiple tabs open in my brain That's at amazing. once. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's 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 useful, but yeah, I also spend a Huge amount of time reading, which is, I mean, it's always up there at the start of the lists of writers' advice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you must read a lot and read everything, but yeah, I, I read incredibly widely, and it's what I prefer to do with my time, full stop, without any caveats. Yeah. Like, I would, there's almost no traditional fun activity that I would rather do than read a book. Mm. Oh, thank God, um, same. Yeah, yeah, and I'm. I made a list um, a couple about a year ago. I just decided to keep track of how much I was reading, and it's it's a lot. It's it was over 100 novels that year. Yeah. Oh my god! Wow. Well, partly the reason I, I made this list is because I was reading um, about a year and a half ago, challenging people to stop reading white male authors for a year, and I think the originator was Kate Tempest Bradford. And I looked at this, and I was and the list they suggested was uh, a a slate of about 20 books you could you know choose all kinds of different books but try to if you're reading 20 books a year they said read Mm. uh no straight white guys and i was like that doesn't sound like a lot of books i'm sure i read more than that that's like only a book every two weeks yeah and and i mean i i understand that people's reading Mm speeding capacity varies widely but I was like I'm sure I read more than 20 books by not straight white guys in in a couple of months never never mind a year so I decided I didn't do this thing because there are well partly because there was a new David Mitchell book coming out and I was like (laughs) I'm, I'm definitely gonna read that I know that I am so let's let's not pretend but I decided to keep keeping a list and keeping track and It was a really interesting exercise in kind of conscious reading because normally I don't do it very consciously. I sort of wander around bookshops and see what takes my Mm. interest. But I've found out that I read 30% of my list of about, I think it was about 120, 30% were by white guys, which I felt reasonably okay with. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it's. um, It was a really interesting exercise and then this year i'm judging the bailey's book prize that's amazing i saw Um, that yeah yeah it's very exciting and and the final judging session and the announcement will be um will be next week so obviously i can't say very much about it but it involved reading what is going to be about 90 books i mean that i personally read there were more books on the slate but i had to read about 90 books by women that had been published in this calendar year, in the last calendar year. And that was a really interesting exercise, not just because of, you know, reading only books by women, but also I'd never before read so much that had been published at a single time Mm -hmm. in a single period of time yeah and you I really got a sense of what's being published now what the themes are what's the overarching sense of the narratives people are trying to get at and it turns out that it's stories about horrific child abuse and stories about the end of the world like oh yeah it's um and some you know cozy bedroom novels Mm -hmm. and um some maddeningly racist novels and a lot of exciting sci-fi but the end of the world and child abuse were overarching themes which it was really kind of interesting I,
0: to look yeah at. I didn't I, w- I wouldn't have guessed that I I, w- I thought that because like female memoirs big at the moment mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. which is really exciting I think oh, yes. but it shouldn't
1: I feel like it shouldn't be exciting yeah well there was I can't it remember should who always said be it. that way yes absolutely well I can't remember who said it first but and I, th- I think it may have been Kate Zambrano Whose book Heroines I Adore, by the way. Case um, and Brennan are my favourite writers right now. But she says, Look, when there's this whole idea of confessional literature and literature about your own life and confessing what you've done. Well, when men write in exactly the same way, it's not called confessional literature, it's called literature. And um, it's not called oversharing. Yes, exactly. There's no <laughs> oversharing from guys. I think if anybody accuses you of oversharing, then that's a sign that they don't want to hear what it is you have to share it's nothing yeah. it's women's women's experience is considered too much it's too much information whereas men can talk about whatever they like and it'll never be too much information but yeah I think the trend for female written memoirs is something that I'm really excited about yeah really really excited but the only thing that I slightly worry about is that so many brilliant books are coming out particularly this year that maybe people won't read all of them because mm-hmm. like i'm excited to read all of them but that's partly I, partly my job to be aware of that cultural stuff and partly my obsession with reading everything that comes out and i'm worried that you know all these individual writers who are all fantastic and their books all deserve to be read maybe they won't all get as much yeah. press and attention and reward I don't know. I worry a bit.
0: Yeah. No, um, it's amazing that you're on that panel and ha- and being able to champion. Yes,
1: having read all of them, I'm very very excited. It's um, so you've read all the ones on the Bailey shortlist. I've read the shortlist. Oh, well, but I haven't finished yet. A little life.
0: Mm. i Oh, it's long. And I it's and I and I'm a bit of a like I kind of cheat on books. <laughs> like I just kind of stop reading one and then read another one and then come back to it, which isn't Ooh. isn't great because
1: then I get a bit out of touch with it. So well, a little life is a. a Deep dive into the psyche of these four men. It's just, I, I thought it was astonishing. I mean, I'm not allowed to talk about what books are my favourite and what I yeah. want to win, but you can, yeah. if you want. And I'm, I'm, I'm into it,
0: and I'm loving the the format of it, like, say, Mm -hmm. like, the four different perspectives is so cool. I love stuff like that.
1: Yeah, I think it's an astonishing work of literature. Well, there's nothing on that shortlist that isn't, Mm. actually, and they're so different in so many awesome ways. But, of course, there's also a lot of books that I read that I was kind of sad, didn't make it further. It's just because, you know, you'll get... We have uh, five judges. We all have Mm. wildly different tastes. Yeah, that's really um, interesting. Yeah, I'm kind of the junior member as well. I mean, there's Elif Shafak on the judging panel, for goodness sake. Like, it's you know I'm, yeah. I'm happy to you know you know i will take the advice of other people it's just interesting to talk so intensely about books with people Who have such different tastes?
0: Mm, I can't think of anyone better to be doing it. That's awesome. Oh, thank
1: you very much. Well, I hope I hope that they'll continue to get you know diverse panels and people Mm -hmm. with different. Well, for example, I think I'm the only person out of the five who's a sci-fi fan. Right. And um, I was able to kind of go to bat for all the sci-fi books, even if it didn't like work out. I was like, no, this is important because of this reason. And um, and there's a lot of there's a lot of not just science fiction, but traditional literary writers trying their hand at science, often post-apocalyptic fiction. that's like I said, that's a big theme. but there are a couple of you know great science fiction books on that list and I think the there's a merging of the traditional nerd sci-fi world with the more mainstream literary fiction world at the moment, which I think is very um, very positive. One of the only things though is because a lot of literary writers, have not necessarily grown up reading all of it. Like sometimes they will unintentionally and I'm not saying this happened in any of the books that I read this year, but what I've noticed is that they will kind of reproduce tropes or, you know, write stories which may have actually already been written.
0: But totally coincidentally.
1: They, well often coincidentally because they're 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 quite, you know, logical stories to step within a science fictional universe but because i was like oh that sounds a bit like something octavia butler did 20 years ago you know and you you might not have read that i don't know i mean that's just the impression i get from reading
0: how interesting is that having read as much as you do that you are gonna see things that reoccur reoccur? because Mm -hmm. it's it's like an interesting idea that nothing is original anyway
1: yes absolutely. i think there's a there's a fetishization of originality certainly and um Sometimes
0: the idea is right under your nose.
1: Yeah, I think. Absolutely. sometimes
0: people are like, Oh, I can't write that because it's not totally original. Yeah,
1: Original takes on old ideas can often be incredibly powerful and meaningful. Look, take Battle Royale and the Hunger Games, for example. Like so Hunger Games is a very similar idea to Battle Royale, the Japanese film, where, you know, kids are abandoned on the island and have to fight to the death and it's all a TV show and it's, it's a very, very similar trope. But The Hunger Games takes it to this completely different place and it arrived at exactly the right time to make such an enormous impact on um, young people in America yeah. and then around the entire world. And, I th- and the characters were discussed so differently. Battle Royale is also a book, obviously, but the characters were treated so differently. The message at the end was so different. Mm-hmm. It's um, I don't think you necessarily have to have a completely different idea to... Um, to yeah. make a story good i would rather have a compelling fun exciting story with brilliant characters that was not totally original than a totally original book that was boring
0: yeah basically. totally because having um you know having placed an importance in your career on reading which is mm. so true because how can you be aware of what, what's going on in the world if you mm. don't read um i remember when you First, tweeted that you were sort of taking a year out. Yes, but it wasn't really a year out, was it?
1: No, you were really. doing—you were still doing things. I, I still did a lot of, and I managed to only write and publish, I think, four articles in that time, and I wasn't really supposed to do those.
0: Was that for you, Yeah, talk talk me through that. I wasn't sure if you were kind of just taking a time out from the norm, or you were trying to maybe have some time
1: for yourself. Yeah, well, it turned into all kinds of different things. So i applied for and was surprised to get this fellowship at harvard the neiman foundation fellowship which i actually didn't realize what a big deal it is because nobody's pretty
0: yeah, yeah. harvard <laughs> yeah
1: but the thing is that like the neiman foundation nobody's heard of it in the uk they may have heard of it a bit more now but in the us like in to anybody who's a journalist you say the neiman foundation and they'll go oh that thing wow i just heard of it as an obscure thing that my friend had come across and they're like oh you should apply for this and and i did and yeah i didn't realize till i got there that it was it's it's kind of a big deal um but it's a fellowship program basically for burned out journalists for a year uh, 12 from the u.s 12 international and um you get to take different kinds of classes and you know there's lots of journalism lectures but the idea is you take a year completely out from your work to do further education, sounds amazing. It was fantastic. It was a complete dream, and I was convinced until I got there that it was all a long con, <laughs> and that we were meant to investigate this amazing free ticket that we'd been handed. You know, yeah. you're all investigative journalists. Why did you not investigate and <laughs> find out that this was some terrible breeding program? Games. You know, the doors come down, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was it was great, and I made friends for life. And I did. I ended up doing a lot of creative writing there, and that's one of the reasons I've now moved into fiction more which I always did as a kid but I mean I took a year out partly because I had just been working so frantically for so long and also uh, my father died very suddenly um, about a year before I went up to Harvard Mm. so around when I was applying for time out and I just knew that I couldn't continue at the pace I had been and I was going to need a solid break to like work on being a person mm-hmm. essentially and yeah. um so that's what I did I took time out I um I did a lot of reading for pleasure I learned about things I hadn't had time to learn about like I took courses in political theory you know I'm an I'm a literature student I'd never taken a course in political theory before that's so cool it's like the learning never never ends exactly and it And, of course, the learning should never end, but the practical Mm -hmm. reality is that when you're working a really high-pressure job, you don't actually have a lot of time to go and take these courses and, you know, improve your own understanding of the world. So I got the opportunity to do that. I was like, I've got this, I'm not going to waste it. But I also did things like, you know, I started working out and working on my health, which I hadn't really done before, and I started taking whole days where I didn't do anything but reading and, and see that must be hard <laughs> it was very yeah
0: because actually lots of people know how to relax and lots of people really don't know how to relax i i find it hard relaxing mm-hmm. i was wondering because i think it is burnout is actually it's a huge thing everywhere i wondered because i probably will teach on the edge of it and get it at some yeah. point because i'm addicted to working but mm-hmm what are the signs of burnout and how did you kind of know that it was time just to chill
1: god well i bounce from burnout to burnout and i'm trying to get better at that because i've because i've massively overtaxed myself again since leaving the fellowship a year ago um but i was i just knew i had to be sensible because i I was getting ill all the time i felt i just felt physically unwell and run down i looked like 10 years older than i was Mm. like and i felt it as well i felt just kind of beaten down and again, you know I, I go through this let me find a better way of saying this like I'm all about not romanticizing writing as an art form and a creative thing. you know it's discipline and craft but the fact is that if you're burned out and anxious and depressed and you're working on autopilot and pushing through burnout, you, you're not going to deliver your best stuff mm-hmm. and I found I'd got to a place particularly after the death of my father where I just I just didn't care for a while I was trying to write about politics and stuff I'm meant to be passionate about and I was like I just I just don't care right now I couldn't I just want to lie down and go to sleep for about a million years yeah. and so you should
0: yeah I think it's like because I feel like that's why sometimes people do push through is you you feel like you don't deserve a break exactly. and that's absolutely ridiculous mm-hmm. I was wondering as well because you've got such a big um online presence mm-hmm. um does that bring external pressures um people asking you for things or favors or just constantly feeling like they're entitled to your
1: time definitely there's a sense of being accountable and a sense of being always on and um and of course yeah people ask me for a lot of things and to some extent that is that's fine because you know i was that 21 year old i was Mm -hmm. asking people older and further along than me for favours. And so I've, I do have a sense that you have to pass it on, you know? But you also have to set up boundaries. Like, now... I now have a hard limit, for example, that unless it's exceptional circumstances, I can't help people with their university coursework or their personal MA theses. Or, actually, personal statements. I actually, I actually <laughs> yeah. quite like writing personal statements, but I won't do it. <laughs> um, but I've had to have a hard limit on that because people ask me for help with that every day, and I just... I don't have the time or emotional energy for your You're those literally projects. just one person. Yeah and, yeah, and if I if I was to help one person, I would have yeah. to help more than one person, and then it would just become nonsensical. And I have to, you know, pick quite carefully what I will give time to, and um, and some and it's not it's not right all the time. You know, I wish I had you know 18 million different. So I wish I had more hours in the day and more energy to be able to help everyone but there is because partly there is just so much need right mm. now there is so much need and when you've built up a platform you can help with that but I can't I also can't publicise everything that people want me to publicise because then my feed would be nothing else. And
0: And people must feel like they know you because they Mm. follow you on Twitter, whereas I I find it interesting that divide because obviously we are the same person online and offline. Yes. We We are us and we don't change, but then there is it it has to change slightly with perceptions absolutely hundreds of thousands of people that follow yeah. you on twitter won't know you really no i mean, although some of them
1: do yeah, secretly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's yeah online versus offline persona is an interesting one because i think i've become more separate from my online persona like what i would consider the real me if that's a if that's even a thing as I've got more well-known because I've I've become more cautious and the stakes of making a mistake or saying something a bit Mm off-colour are higher. You know, Mm -hmm. if I you know, the Daily Mail could pick up on it. You know, I now can't... You know, I don't really talk about my family on Twitter or any public platform. Mm-hmm. I don't talk, for example, about my partners or my love life, my sex life, even though all of that stuff is a huge part of my life. Um, that's not part of my um, of my online life really at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, I also... I mean, I relate to the world mainly through writing, and it's a big change for me as in terms of you know, I have to find different ways of doing that kind of public and communicative writing in ways that feel safe. Yeah. Like what I really miss is Live Journal, obviously. Did you yeah, were you on Live I love, Journal? I, yeah, I used to love oh, Live Journal. Oh, R. I. P. Although it's still I well, know it's still there. it's, it's not like, the same. No, it's not yeah. the same. It's, and George R.R. R. Martin is still on Live Really? Journey. Yes. Like, <laughs> oh my random God. people are still on live That's journey. hilarious. I'm going to check that out. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, but that sense of, you know, you engage a little bit in public, but it's it's with your friends and there's a dialogue and a community. It's, that sense is not something I have anymore in my writing and I've totally... I totally miss it. I really, really miss mm. it. Do you have any sort of safe space? Would you say I had on, e- online there's email? And there is yeah. also like I have a small mailing list for. Actually, that's yeah. where I first started that's sending nice. out my short stories. Um, to like first drafts of short stories to people who might like to read it. I've got a list of about. 40 people of whom I know personally who. That's nice. Yeah. yeah, it was really good, and that's where I first started getting feedback. But I also put, like, I'm upset about boys, let me write, like, not politically, but personally. Yeah. But, well, a little bit politically, maybe, <laughs> but let's, you know, it's not patriarchy's fault that you got dumped every single time. <laughs> so it's that kind of whinge, yeah, you know, yeah, that yeah. I'll put out, just send to a couple of friends. Yeah. Because you started your blog
0: for, oh seven, two thousand seven, 2007. Is it funny seeing kind of when blogs were just really quite um out of the norm and Yeah, you know, exactly. And I think And it, it's amazing. Like your blog was the blog.
1: It's it's so funny and well, one of the things people still refer to me as a blogger primarily, although I haven't written like a, a blog what I would think of as a blog post for The word quite blogger long now time. means totally
0: different things, does not yeah. it? Sadly, it's not like, about the it's writing like,
1: really. It's, it's uh it's a I'm a writer, I guess, I just do it for different mediums, but I think I was also very lucky because back in 07 it wasn't as common to have, you know, online first writing about feminism and social justice. A lot of people are doing that now. Back then, it was a lot rarer, mm. and um, and I kind of got in at, on the ground floor of that. But I do read back on some of my old blog posts and expect to cringe, and then I, I don't really That's in a in a way that in a way that I love it makes that me. you're like past. Laurie is yeah, like past Laurie is sometimes yeah. quite wise i mean sometimes quite also quite um you know over, over quite melodramatic and yeah. um probably drunk on a couple of occasions because i, I was living in a terrible house <laughs> full of you know drink and all kinds of other things and yeah. um just but which was great for making the rage fresh and <laughs> um, <Yes. laughs> actually one of the things that does help with normality though is is living in a place like this you know I mm-hmm. live with at least eight other people and this place is quite I gonna mean, talk about it because it's an important part of my life sometimes but it's also it's reasonably private and it's a quite special place in terms of a community and so in my online life and my public life it people tend to treat me in one of two ways it's either like Oh my god. You literally are the most amazing person in the world. Can I touch your hair? Um, or no, I'm, I'm exaggerating. Most No, but
0: I know what you mean. It's it people
1: can put you up there. Yeah. Or it's you are the world's worst human, you should die immediately and everything you've ever been must be razed to the ground and, you know, horrible, horrible abuse and public Mm -hmm. attacks and it's nice to be in a place where you're just a a person. It's like, Laurie, you can be a dickhead sometimes. Uh, Why don't you clean your room more often? Hey, let's have dinner. Do you want to help out? Like, it's just being a normal human being who has chores to do is uh, really really Absolutely. helpful and that's one of the reasons I think it's good for me to live with because if you're living mm-hmm. with somebody whether that's a partner or a housemate or family member there's only so much romanticism that can mm-hmm. remain when you've seen somebody walking around in their pants <laughs> So true. in the middle of the night trying to find a snack you know? <laughs> it's, it's so true yeah. it's like congratulations on your fourth book can you do the washout now yeah, exactly <laughs> it's, and, and also you know the The practicalities of living in a house show where you know I do have this crazy work schedule, and people will give me a a bit of leeway for that. But at the end of the day, if it's my turn to do the shopping, it's my turn to do the shopping, and I have to make time and space for that and yeah there's there's accountability i find it really useful i should probably do more That's it's so, so true it's really good and actually i did live on my own for a while i lived on my own in uh when i was at harvard doing the fellowship and also attempted to live on my own for like for a year in um in 2012 um, and I was paying a ridiculous amount for a mm. tiny, mouldy basement flat. You literally got in through somebody else's kitchen. But I was like, no, it's important to live on my own. I have to try it. And and I just felt there wasn't that sense of normality that you get from other people in your yeah. physical community. It must
0: be good that you tried it as well, because yeah. now you know. Yeah, Now I know that it's not for me. <laughs> exactly.
1: Yeah. Now that particular margerhood of adulthood is off the table, I would prefer to live with a million reprobates.
0: So I guess leading on from that... I was
1: wondering um what would you say success means oh my goodness I've recalibrated what it means to be successful lately because you know I I come from a middle-class immigrant family where it it is important and I always grew up with a sense that it was important to be working hard and to be you know aiming for something some kind of Career in some professional capacity, and I'd set myself various goals which I considered completely crazy. Like, I set myself the goal of publishing a book before I was 25 and thinking i probably won't do that but it's good to have that goal anyway and then that happened mm-hmm. and i kind of met all the targets i set for myself when i was a kid and i didn't expect that to happen is that a weird feeling it's a very odd feeling Because actually i mean it's amazing
0: Yeah, it's, but then you're it's kind of great. left thinking hmm
1: yeah i think and i think now whatever i do now is a bonus i mean honestly and this is probably the most emotional i get on this on this podcast my main goal in life has always been mental health and good mental health. Cause you know, I, I had a breakdown in my teens and I know that I'm will always be in recovery from various kinds of mental health problems. And that is, mm-hmm. that's still the number one goal. And it's the goal without which I can't, I without working on and keeping myself mentally well, I can't do any of the other stuff I want to do. So if, you know, being successful is being in a place where I am mentally healthy as far as is possible. I'm taking care of that aspect and I'm able to give something back to the world. Anything else beyond that is a bonus. But because I've got this platform now and I've done better than I thought, I really have to ask what more can be done, How like how mm-hmm. I can give stuff back. And I look at people who are you know 10 20 years older than me who are much more successful and have done all these amazing things and what really the parts of their life that I not I guess envy in a good way is the ability to help out Mm -hmm. other people and younger people and to kind of set up foundations and to you know be of use and support to uh, whether it be young artists or people in different fields and to yeah. to give back to a community it sounds completely romantic and nonsensical but I don't think it is like that's I think that's now my goal because mm. I love that that's such a nice message especially because
0: what is more important than your own what's yeah. going on in your own mind as well as um you've you've been on this like crazy journey and actually oh. to come out the other side and be like well,
1: here's all the stuff I can offer you. What does the future look and I think there's a lot a sense, particularly for women, that that you have to get stuff done before you reach a certain age. Oh yeah, I we were just talking that. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: About this weird milestone that's 30 where where that is so young. Yeah. Thank you, Laurie. Thank you. That so was much. really it's fun. Really- if you like this episode, please remember to leave a review or a rating on iTunes. It would mean so much to me also um, tweet me at girl lost in city on twitter i'd love to hear your feedback so thanks so much again for listening and make sure you tune in next week bye